The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So it's good to uh, good to sit with you. Um, this is the essential avaricious nature of loss. It encompasses without distinction the trivial and the consequential, the abstract and the concrete, the merely misplaced and the permanently gone. We often ignore the tr- its true scope if we can, but for a while after my father died, I could not see, stop seeing the world as it really is, marked everywhere by the evidence of past losses and the imminence of future ones. This was not because his death was a tragedy. My father died peacefully at 74, tended throughout his final weeks by those he loved most. It was because his death was not a tragedy. What shocked me was that something so sad could be the normal, necessary way of things. In its aftermath, each individual life seemed to contain too much heartbreak for its fleeting duration. History, which I had always loved even in its silences and mysteries, suddenly seemed like little more than a record of loss on an epic scale, especially especially where it could offer no record at all. The world itself seemed ephemeral, glaciers and species and ecosystems vanishing, the pace of change as swift as in a time lapse, as if those of us alive today had been permitted to see it from the harrowing perspective of eternity. Everything felt fragile, everything felt vulnerable. The idea of loss pressed in around me like a hidden order to existence that emerged only in the presence of grief. It's Catherine Schultz. From lost and found. I wasn't planning to uh, to talk about this, but uh, here it goes. So when uh, we love in a world that changes, a world that um, trembles in all directions grief becomes a part of life and we have to love something it's it's just what what mammals do and so grief is is woven into the fabric of our biology and um, really when we we care about other beings, when we care about sentience itself, grief becomes a a feature of life. And so Monday was um, 
helplessness, how helplessness can illuminate our power yesterday, renunciation, freeing us up to enjoy pleasure more fully, less compulsively. And uh, today, uh, grief, grief, freeing us up to love more deeply. Now, when I use the word grief, I'm not just talking about the loss of someone. It's broader than that. And I'm not talking about the species of grief that debilitates us and freezes us, although that's a part of life too. But the way that the Dharma interacts with the grieving heart such that we are changed by it, positively changed by it, our love is deepened by it. And spiritual practice is, it's a form of growing up in a way. It's a form of growing up. And growing up entails growing pains. You know, sometimes like kids will get um, like these diffuse pains in their legs or something. Like, okay, no problem growing pains and uh, there are growing pains of spiritual maturation too for each of us there are growing pains of evolving our sila evolving our ethical commitments yeah of of actually growing up ethically uh, my angelou said um do the best you can until you know better than when you know better, do better. We have to be willing to know. When you know better, do better. We have to be willing to know. We have to be willing to come into a, a deeper alignment with our existing values to actually trace out those values what they mean for ourselves in the world to come into a, a kind of alignment with the depth of our own heart we're willing to be stretched to widen the circle of moral concern and the movement of the heart in that, that can feel a little like grief. Yeah. That circle widening. You know, more and more of the world feels like a, a worthy moral concern. And there are growing pains in associated with deepening compassion. Yeah. Like when, when love meets suffering, there are kind of two byproducts. Yeah. Grief and compassion. Yeah. Love meeting suffering. Grief and compassion. And the movement, the movement of the the kind of uh, the clenched fist of grasping that Gil often speaks of, the movement of the clenched fist of grasping to the open hand of 
letting go. That feels like something. That movement feels like something. And it often feels like grief. Not so long ago in teaching, um, I sort of had this, this insight arose and it was kind of like, wow, how did I not put this together before? But uh, much of the fruit of practice unfolds through a process of grieving. It feels like something is being lost. And uh, for sure, something gained. Now, we don't have to make this some enormous project, my grieving project. We're just willing to feel, willing to feel. And I hold... um, grief in a kind of reverential way. You know, it does not belong in the family of afflictive emotion in my mind. And I I can imagine uh, a life that is free of agitation and anger and anxiety. I I don't live it, but I could imagine it. I can imagine it. I cannot imagine a life free of grieving. I don't even know exactly what that would be, but it feels like it would be an abdication of our love and care in some way. People are, um, they're often grateful when they're given permission to grieve, to, to know that this is part of the path. This is the part of the path amidst loss. This is part of just the growing pains of the, the evolution of our compassion, of our love, the expansion of the scope of our moral concern. That the movements of letting go entails some sense of, uh, of grieving, now, the, the traditional phrase about the fruit of this practice is um, beyond, you know, uh, beyond grief, sorrow, lamentation, and despair. Yeah, we get beyond grief, sorrow, lamentation, and despair. But um, I want my Buddha to grieve. And maybe, not maybe, that is controversial. But um, just for me, I want my Buddha to grieve. Grief is, um, it's redeemed by different things. We're certainly redeemed by art, but, um, but also by growing our love. Yeah. And a love that is um, uninformed by grief is a naive love. What we what we find in uh, in in uh, grief is that um, the ego is just all out of moves. Do you know that feeling? 
those moments where it's just like the ego is all out of moves. There's no energy for it to move in this way or that way. And there's some beauty and opportunity in that itself. And so we do this work um, for ourselves. It's important for ourselves. It's important for our society because the failure to grieve, the failure to let go, uh, that spills out. It spills out. And it, the failure to grieve can distort our love. You know, our love becomes too reticent or too controlling. And so, yeah, the courage to love is the willingness to grieve. And when we're willing, the love deepens, less reticent, less controlling. Sometimes um, our hearts, fully enlightened beings, are described as being consummate in shame. Consummate in shame. And what's being alluded to is Hiri and Otapa, the shame around moral transgression, around causing harm. Consummate in shame. I'm always struck by that translation. I wonder, maybe it's possible to be consummate in grief, too. Zerilka, um, it's possible I am pushing through solid rock in flint-like layers as the ore lies alone. I am such a long way in, I see no way through and no space. Everything is close to my face, and everything close to my face is stone. I don't have much knowledge yet in grief, so this massive darkness makes me small. You be the master, make yourself fierce, break in then your great transforming will happen to me and my great grief cry will happen to you. I offer this for consideration. It's good to be able to talk about uh, these things together.